This is Big Talk, Michael Glab here. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had on this program Jeff Meese, the big Bloomington restaurateur. And at that time I said, Jeff, how have we gone this long in this show? Because we've been on the air in one form or another since 2014. And it's only until 2021 that we got Jeff Meese on. And I apologized and the whole schmear. And I said, how, how could that be? And I need to say that again today for this week's guest, who is none other than, and I'm going to give this little moniker, the Lively Death Lady. Of course, you know her as Kel McBride. Kel, thanks for being on Big Talk. Hey, thanks for the invite. The Lively Death Lady, she does business in the realm of death. We're going to find out about that. As a matter of fact, she has done so many things. It's amazing all the different things that she's done, including counseling people on how to look forward to their own death. Not a thing that I look forward to. Do you look forward to your own death, Cal? I look forward to it being the way I hope it is. You mean make plans and set things exactly. up? Exactly. Yeah, I'm hopeful that my health care follows the guidelines and wishes that I want. I hope that my body is just, you know, accommodated in the way that it, I want it to be. I want a funeral that represents my uniqueness and individuality. And I want my legacy, both in my finances and possessions, as well as my ethics and morals to last beyond my, my death. Aye, aye, aye. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's a pretty tall order. And that's what I help my clients do. I help my clients put together a plan so that their family doesn't have to wonder what would they have wanted, but can instead think about what they meant to them. We're not talking about you're saying, well, in the year 2035, that'll be it. I'll be done. And I'm going to make plans to get out of this mortal coil at this time. What you're saying is, is make all of those plans. And the thing is, in this culture, at least, America western culture we don't want to think about that we think about it all the time huh. uh, think about how many true crime shows are people spend their time thinking about death and dying that way we like to think about but that's, that's somebody else's death exactly yeah. you on. know though what i find is that when i start talking to people about death and dying they want to talk i've never heard any very rarely does anybody just shut down and most of those people are currently in grief all right, so they do need their personal space to deal with death and dying the way they're looking at it. But everyone else I talk to mostly is like, oh, I know what I want to do with my funeral. Oh, I want to have a tree planted on me when I die. You know, like people have some pretty strong emotions and feelings about this. So to me, my goal is to make sure they're fully educated about what they want and what the options are so they can pull together a plan and then communicate that clearly with their family. I mean, almost every client I've ever worked with leaves with a plan that includes an element they had never heard of before they talked to me. Hmm. So to, that to me is success, that they get a good educated decision to make sure they get what they want. It seems to me that a lot of our popular health practices and so forth and a lot of the rages and manias 
for constant exercising and putting the perfect food in your body and all this is sort of a way to say, I'm never going to die. I like to think of it as I want to live as fully as I can and as healthfully and strong as I can before I die. Yeah, but I like pizza. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, like I got to put that into my body in huge quantities, maybe too huge in any case. <laughs> hey, by the way, we've got to fit this. In. We've got so much to fit in. It's, <laughs> it's something else. This weekend is a big event. Something that you're big on in this town. You are an event person. There's no doubt about that. There is going to be from Friday through Sunday, February 26th through the 28th, X Hunt, Bloomington's quirky scavenger hunt. What's going on? What are you doing? Well, first off, I have to acknowledge the connection with Jeff Meese that you started off the show with. Oh, boy. About two or three years ago, Jeff came to me and said, I want us to do a scavenger hunt. I'm like, huh, what's up with that? And we were talking about when the Pizza X changed from Pizza Express to Pizza X. And we were thinking about doing an X marks the spot kind of concept as far as a scavenger hunt. But as you might imagine, things got away from us and the ideas slipped to the wayside. And about, oh gosh, maybe nine months ago, we started planning again. We figured that right now was when people needed something fun to do, something to distract themselves, something to give themselves a bunch of joy, and ideally stuff that people could do at home if they wanted to. And that's when we revived the idea. Wait a minute. We, we're in the middle of a pandemic lockdown, which, hey, by the way, I just signed up for my vaccine appointment. Hey. And it's in, a, it's in a couple of weeks. I'm, I'm chomping at the bit. In any case, we're supposed to be staying home. How do you have a scavenger hunt by staying home? Now, this isn't a traditional scavenger hunt or a treasure hunt, and there isn't a race, okay? It is a different kind of event. So it's a list of challenges that people are encouraged to complete. It's everything from, like, trivia to cool art projects to physical feats and story problems. There's word, word puzzles and location searches, I mean, shoot, there's riddles about IU and the city, and even better, there's challenges for people to give back to the community and even silly stunts. So it is genuinely a quirky scavenger hunt. So this sounds like something that can be accessed online 24 hours a day from Friday through Sunday. Am I right or wrong about that? You've got it. So everyone that's a registered um, player will get to download an app or they can use a website where they can get the list of over 100 challenges to complete between 10 a.m. Friday and 10 p.m. Sunday. They have 60 hours to complete as many as they can. Each one of those challenges has a point value based on how hard we think the challenges are. Anything from 30 points all the way to 1,000 points. Wow. And the people can play either as an individual or they can pull together a team. And the best individual score as well as the best team score will win a crisp $100 bill for all players. Now, when they whip out their smartphones or their laptops or what the heck ever device they're using, how do they get to this? So what I need for folks to do that are really interested is the best way to do it is to head over to Facebook and you can type in X-Hunt Bloomington or you can go over into Eventbrite, which is where the registration page is. On Facebook, we've got a few little sample challenges as well as some Head Start challenges that'll give you a, an opportunity to get a step up on getting those going. 
Um, so that's kind of a fun way to figure out what the community is like and who's getting together involved with this. But then you can register at Eventbrite with x-hunt and track us down that way. Registration is pretty cool. We were able to partner with um, four different sponsors that allowed us to give 100% of all of the registration fees go to Hoosier Hills Food Bank. Now, people can win money doing this. I thought I saw that. Exactly. Like I just mentioned, everyone who plays that gets the highest score can get a crisp $100 bill each. So if you have a team of five people, each one of those players will get $100. If you're an individual that's playing, you are only competing against other individuals, and you would win a $100 grand prize. That bill better be crisp. It crisp. Better <laughs> crisp. That is the most important part. It's a crisp $100 bill. And, you know, this is the time where I got to mention those sponsors. And one of the core ones is Jeff Mason Pizza X. Right. Jeff made sure that we had all the finances taken care of to run this event so we could ensure that all of that funds that comes in from the players goes directly to Hoosier Hills Bank. Hoosier wow. Hills Food Bank. So, yeah, he worked with B97. He worked with Jackson County Bank and Cochrane Commercial Real Estate and Consulting to make sure that all of those expenses were covered so we didn't have to worry about making sure we only gave proceeds that every dollar goes straight to Hoosier Hills Food Bank. And as we know right now, they are in huge demand and they're helping thousands of people um, who are in food insecurity take care of themselves during this time. You know, you're, you are such a social butterfly. <laughs> butterfly, my God, you're like a, a, a social condor. <laughs> Uh, how how do you bear this year-long lockdown? It, it, it's been a little brutal, to be honest, but I like to remind myself as the lively death lady, I'm not dead. And my closest <laughs> friends are not dead. And I know many, many, many people who have died. So staying home seems like a moderate challenge, really. That said, early on, we developed a pod for our, for our group. So there are pretty much the three most important people, plus my husband, I do get to see them. So we have made sure that that little pod of people has stayed safe and trusted and making sure that we all take care of each other. So I have had some social, which is good. I need it. I'll tell you this, Kel McBride, uh, one of the great things about living in Bloomington is from the moment that the lockdown started, I was able to jump in my car and ride down Route 446 to Payne Town and Lake Monroe, and that has been a lifesaver for me as far as I'm concerned. You know, oddly, I got most of my energy and enthusiasm last year by cleaning up a cemetery. I adopted White Oak Cemetery on the near west side and have been cleaning headstones and unearthing headstones that had fallen into the ground and mapping and doing all kinds of stuff over there. So that gave me the opportunity to be outside, to be physical, as well as even to meet some volunteers because we could stay distanced from each other. You know what's a funny thing? Uh, death is sort of the topic a little bit these uh, <laughs> right now today. In Los Angeles, um, a few years ago, uh, one of the biggest cemeteries in the uh, Los Angeles area became a huge sponsor of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And they would run along the stadium ribbon ad boards, ads for this cemetery. And someone said, that's insane. Why are you running ads for a cemetery during a baseball game? Doesn't that kill the buzz? Doesn't that ruin things? Turns out, that in the Mexican tradition, going to cemeteries is, is 
is a feast. Yeah, I'm a big believer that people should shop before they drop. Wow. You need to think about what cemetery and funeral home that you would like to work with before it's needed. Because while I fully respect funeral homes and every mortician and funeral home person that I've ever worked with has been ethical and kind and caring and really not making much money, there are the rare few that are horrible, just like in any profession. And I think it's important for people to know exactly who they're going to be working with so that when the time comes, their family and friends aren't stressed out trying to work with a place that's not the best match for them. There are times when I think uh, I would like to be put away, as it were, the way uh, the dude and Walter put away Donnie in the Big Lebowski. They uh, put his ashes in a Folgers coffee can and spread it out uh, at the cliffs uh, just north of Los Angeles. Uh, I guess that wouldn't be a recommended way to do things. What do you say? Well, you know, as someone who has uh, scattered some cremains on national you know, park areas. Is um, that we were, so? Yeah, we were kind of, um, we took care of, took care of, that sounds horrible. <laughs> we scattered my uncle's ashes at the top of Clingman's Dome in Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Beautiful. However, I have since learned that that's illegal. And if you want to distribute ashes on any private or public property, it is legally required to get permission from that organization. Uh -huh. And the National Parks Program does have a process. Now, back to the Big Lebowski. I would recommend checking the direction of the air before, <laughs> before scattering. Um, though I will say that the ashiness that we saw in that situation is not the way most cremains are. It's more of a thicker sand consistency yeah. with some ashiness. Well, the thing is, is that people have this idea that you're burning the body. You're not burning the body. You kind of are. You're burning everything except for the bones. And it's well, the same thing as aquamation. I mean, aquamation gets rid of the body by water. Cremation gets rid of the body by flame. And there's even now a new method of organic human reduction, which is a composting for humans. Wow. And I think people just don't know about all their options. You know, we don't You're realize it's other than just burial, traditional burial, or I like to think of it as common burial. You know, people don't realize all their options with green burial and aquamation and human composting. We've, we've got some options out there that I think are connecting to people more emotionally and economically yeah. as well as environmentally. But I'm thinking I didn't answer your question. You sounded like you didn't think the cre cremation was burning. Yeah, I was under the impression, and I hope you can clear me up right now. I was under the impression that you more baked the body away, desiccated it through high heat, rather than just lit it on fire, put, you know, the lighter fluid all over it and uh, barbecued it up. Yeah, it is definitely in a device called a retort. Um, you've probably seen it in a movie where they slide in um, generally a cardboard container with the body inside of it, and it is a massive flame of oven. It's a really extremely high temperature, um, more so than you would get with a traditional fire, of course. And yeah, it is an extremely high temperature process. Have you seen it? Yes. It, is it gross? I think the human bodies are just part of life, and that whether it's burial or cremation or aquamation or any of these other processes, it's an honoring way to care for someone's body. So to me, it's not gross any more than someone being born 
is gross. Um, so yeah, a lot of people. Well, that's pretty gross right. too. In a lot exactly, of ways. <laughs> but it's part of life, right? Right, um, right. All of my life, I focused on three aspects of living, which is birth, sex, and death. So to me, all of those can be a little gross, but they can also be full of love and care and informed decisions. I noticed that you have a big dog's tail <laughs> getting in your way over there. Oh, and there's a big guy licking you. What's this guy's name? So this is our 140-pound, maybe 150, maybe after COVID, 140-pound Great Dane Darth. And yeah, he's he's a beast. He is a. I, I don't recommend people walk into getting a Great Dane lightly because they are not light. They. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a feeling he owns you as opposed to you owning him. Yeah, I, I think own is the wrong word for sure. But yeah, we have to be extremely cautious about him. He has a, he doesn't know how big he is. So sometimes he runs into us and can hurt us. So we just have to be careful and give him all the love and attention he deserves. Well, let's go over some of the things that you have done in your life. And it's just a crazy list. First off, let me, let me just say that uh, I met you when I first arrived here in Bloomington. I had Sorry. wheels on my feet, if I remember correctly. That's right. You were at the tail end of your career at that time. This is about 10 or 11 years ago. You're at the tail end of your career as a roller girl. And I, as far as I know, you were in at the start of the Bleeding Heartland Roller Girls. They're now known as the Bleeding Heartland Roller Derby. You were in it at the beginning, weren't you? I was. Um, I will say, sadly, that Bleeding Heartland Roller Derby has come to an end. But there's always people inkling about starting up another league. So I'm always optimistic that somebody can do that. For the sheer fact that so much comes out of that. I was one of the key founders here for the Bleeding Heartland Roller Derby team. We started off as a co-city um, team with Indianapolis and then realized that wasn't going to work and started our own league down here. We were, one, uh, we were the first non-urban roller derby team. Now, when did you first hear of or know of such a thing as roller derby? When I was short, and I mean super short. <laughs> I was a kid in the 70s, and I used to watch roller derby, um, the old versions of roller derby, kind of the spectacle, professional wrestling side of it. And I remember distinctly telling my mother as a small child that I wanted to be a roller derby skater when I grew up. And uh -huh. when I, I had an opportunity for work to travel to Seattle and picked up an alternative news, news weekly and saw an ad for a roller derby bout out there and flipped out <laughs> it was sold out um i talked my way in by doing volunteer work i got to meet the skaters i got to see the back end of how things work i came back home and talked to a couple friends of mine who were skaters i'm like we are starting a roller derby team and we did <laughs> it, it took a lot of effort because back then nobody had seen roller derby so i'm trying to recruit people to play a game they've never seen most of the people that started with us had never seen a bout before they played their first game. When you first saw it on television, are you talking about the version where there was a rail around the track and they would knock each other over and bend each other in half over the rail, that type of deal? So yeah, that was banked track roller derby. And there are people that play banked track roller derby now. We played flat track here locally. But yeah, the banked track roller derby of the 70s was more closely related to professional wrestling in that, yes, it was a physical endurance sport in that people were really playing. However, the games were 
pre-planned a little bit. You knew who was going to win. You had an idea of some of the moves that might happen, but those were tr still true athletes. We were playing maybe once every two weeks at most, you know, as far as competing. These people were playing five days a week and traveling wow. all around the country to play. So I in no way want to dismiss those early roller derby players, but it no. was a different, a different kind of game when it came around to us. You know, it's a funny thing. Uh, so many of the people who got involved with a roller derby, uh, especially here in Bloomington, were women who were sort of like coming out as their own strong and determined selves. And it was just beautiful to see. And that's exactly what I meant by I hope it comes back and locally because so many people got so much out of it. And that was everything from the skaters to the refs to the volunteers. Like it was, it was inspiring. Um, some people who never really had a sense of community, you know, as an adult found new community. People who'd never played sports before in their life started playing sports with roller derby. You know, everything from the announcers connecting and the friendships that happened, the relationships that blossomed as part of that. I mean, the physical strength, both physical and emotional, have been intense. I've had a few skaters since then say it truly changed their lives. Everything from leaving abusive partners to starting businesses because they had that confidence. I mean, it's, it's made a big change for a lot of us. And that's, that's global now. You know, when we started again, we were one of the first 50 leagues in the world. And now, gosh, I, I think it's up to 12,000. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's a lot of roller derby teams around the world. When you say that uh, Bleeding Heartland Roller Girls and the Bleeding Heartland Roller Derby is no more, you're not saying that the whole trend internationally or even nationally is going downhill. Oh, no. People are definitely still playing roller derby. I mean, you can pop on Facebook and see roller derby groups all over the place. There's leagues everywhere. Um, there's leagues that started back then that are still fully active and engaged. Just the local team, the local league disbanded. Now, there are definitely players that would love to start again. The local roller rink would be excited to help. Um, encourage skaters to skate again. It does take some leadership, though. It really does take a small core group um, to make it happen. Um, it, ta it takes a Kel McBride. Uh, it takes a team. It does uh -huh. not take an individual. It for sure takes a team. I could not have pulled that together by myself. Big kudos to Veronica Heights and Elizabeth Beauregard, who were there at the beginning, pushing really hard to make it happen. We, at times, didn't think we were going to make it pull together. I mean, there were definitely times where we were like, well, if we don't meet this deadline, we, just, we should just stop. But thankfully, we were able to get enough players together, and then it blossomed. I mean, there was a point in time where there were, you know, lots of players with Bleeding Heartland, whereas at the beginning, we were just struggling to get 10 players. Did you pay any physical price for being a roller girl? <laughs> um, I skated for two and a half years, and in that two and a half years, I broke my toe, I crushed my ankle, I dislocated my knees repeatedly, I slipped a disc, I separated my collarbone, I fractured my cheek, and got two concussions. Uh, in, two, in two and a half years? Two and a half years. That's crazy. Now, I mean, soldiers barely go through that. Well, and I have to acknowledge, you know, I, I was an anomaly. 
though in roller derby we always said it's not a matter of if you get hurt it's a matter of when and how bad uh -huh. and I was one of the how bads I also had some health issues walking into it and some ones that have endured because of it uh, I have a history of concussions which makes me more likely to fall and hit my head so that contributed to some of my balance issues as I played well, that must have been tough. And it's too bad to hear that the uh, Bleeding Heartland uh, Roller Girls, the Roller Derby, is no longer active. You know, though, I got to acknowledge, I mean, there are Roller Derby teams regionally. I mean, so if somebody locally wanted to play, they could go around to another city and do that. So I believe that Columbus is still active. I'm positive that Indianapolis is still active. Louisville has a team. So, I mean, if people wanted to play, they could definitely go play. Well, that's great. It's, it's good to hear. But, you know, it seemed like there was just this tight-knit group of people who were involved here it was it was like a club and it was a club of strong interesting dynamic individuals it, it was and you know i'm super thankful i met some amazing people i would have never met because of roller derby um two or three of them are i would say part of my core friendship group and that wouldn't have happened without roller derby and i think that's amazing there are definitely people that started back then that are still involved in roller derby in some way, shape, or form. So it's amazing. It truly surprises me how long that project endured. I've started a lot of projects with people, and this one lasted longer than any of them. Now, long about the time that I first met you and was finding out about roller derby and all here, then I learned that you had recently at that time, like I say, about 10 or 11 years ago, at that time had been involved with something called eroticon. Mm -hmm. Now, what was that? So at the time, I was a sexuality educator as well as I worked at the Kinsey Institute for a while in their oh. libraries and archives. It was a wonderful place. And during that time, I was trying to figure out how to help people with behavior change. Um, this HIV AIDS was still a huge issue at that time. We didn't have the detailed cocktails of medications that were available. Uh, so I was trying to figure out ways to help people adopt both safer sex sorts of um, behaviors as well as getting into relationships and staying in relationships with quality communication and really clear understanding of what people's needs and wants were. So. I was trying to figure out how to do that, and I found some research that said that the more comfortable someone is with their own sexuality, the more likely they are to communicate with their partners about what they want for pleasure as well as what they wanted for protection. La, 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 la. Hey, we love talkers on this program, and Kel McBride is a talker. So much so, we're making this a two-parter. Tune in next week, Thursday, 5.30 p.m. on WFHB 91.3 FM for part two of our chat with the lively death lady, Kel McBride. This is Michael Glab for Big Talk. Kel McBride is the lively death lady and uh, keep in mind that this coming weekend, the 26th through the 28th of February, X Hunt, Bloomington's quirky scavenger hunt. Just go to Facebook, type in X hyphen Hunt Bloomington, 
You'll go to the page. You'll be able to participate. You'll even be able to win money. Kel McBride, thanks so much for being on Big Talk. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much, Michael.